Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma to the Job Seekers Podcast. All right, welcome to the 18th episode of the Let's Eat Grandma Job Seekers Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the best practices in your job search strategy. What we cover here are how to effectively apply for jobs, LinkedIn, how to obtain the skill set for jobs, and getting in the mindset of a recruiter. Career transitions was also a big theme as well, and we will touch upon that big time. This was another live event here at Capital Factory. It was an Ask Me Anything where we took a bunch of job seekers. We got me, we got our career coach, Al Robinette, all the way from Dallas and stuck us all in one room. And then pure genius ensued. I really love this open forum aspect in this podcast episode because here we have real job seekers asking actual questions that they want to know in their job search. And all of these questions were just so relevant for you guys, which made for excellent podcast content. This meetup was an hour long, but we cut it down to 45 minutes here and left in the best parts of Al's speech for you all. If you're in the car, I recommend subscribing and saving this podcast episode for you to re-listen just because there was so much good stuff here in these 45 minutes. So without further ado, here's Al Robinette on best practices in applying for jobs. I know you touched upon it just a little bit, Al, but if you can just briefly talk about why you are in career coaching and who you typically serve, and that'll open Um, it up. Yeah, I've worked with uh, individuals in in so many different industries, everything from retail to corporate executive finance positions to IT positions to uh, people working in construction, um, painters. I've worked with so many different types of people out there. Um, So there's not an industry, because I don't have to be the expert in your industry. That's not what my role is. My role is to help facilitate and help you come up with those decisions, because at the end of the day, you're the one who has to make the decision about your career and what's the best thing for you. Um, I'm going to help you figure out what the options are, what are things that maybe you haven't thought of, um, and what are resources that maybe you haven't thought of, um, and help keep you motivated, and also be an accountability partner. Um, Because one of the things when it comes to career coaching um, you know, you can hire a career coach, but if you don't do the work, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a certain level of accountability that you're doing whatever the work is we're doing, whether it's an assignment, whether it's research, whether it's uh, a course you're taking or something. Um, you got to have somebody that's going to hold you accountable. You know, and if you don't have a career coach, then who do you have in your, your personal life that can be that person for you? Because um, that's, that's a big piece of any kind of success when you're focusing on something like this, because you're going to get um, days that you're going to feel great and you're going to see success in the steps you're taking. And then you're going to have days you're going to feel horrible and you feel like the world's coming to an end. So that person is as much an accountability partner as I call them your uh, CMO, your chief motivational officer. Uh, it's their job to help also keep you motivated and keep you going because you don't want to go through a career transition or a job search alone. You, you want to have that person you can talk to, you can vent to, that understands what you're going through, and they're going to be that support person for you to some degree. Um, and it's amazing when you can take a partner and share that load, how much less stressful a transition or a job search can be. Um, so, again, that would be somebody for you to think about on your own. But uh, it's really about helping you navigate those waters it's, and how do, you, how do we get you into that position or that company you want to work for, uh, and how do you know what that is? Because several of you kind of mentioned, I'm doing something, but it's not what I want to do. Yeah. So how do we figure that out? And that's where we work together to, to do that. Um, you know, one of the things I had, I got my notepad out, and I had to write this down with what you were just saying, because when you're talking about the logistics experience you've got and you're talking about the training aspect of it, so do you enjoy doing the training? It's the training I like. Okay. And I know that if I could get a job in logistics doing more training, I would probably be okay with that. 
so the one the one nugget that I'll give you out of today to take away that'll make the difference based on what we talked about was about your resume and, and working on your transitional skills and rephrasing things we were talking about toward training and development right so that's where it's taking the experiences you have with the resume you've got and rewriting that to talk about the people that you've developed departments that you've trained what are the successes that they've had so we have to start rewriting that resume to focus on those successes because you've certainly had them we just got to find them and figure out how to phrase them so you're gonna have to do some homework research a little bit what are some of these positions like out there um, one of the best websites I recommend for everybody is called ONET O-N-E-T. That's what I recommend, too. It's one of the yeah. best websites out there for free to go on and search for jobs, and it will give you an amazing report on this is the career I'm looking at. Is that our jobs climbing in that industry? What's the average median salaries? Um, you'll get some really great data on there, and it's completely free. Um, so I would definitely do some research around other industries that you could potentially go into logistics for. Um, the other thing I would recommend, and this applies to anybody that's transitioning, is on LinkedIn, if there is an industry you're interested in, reach out to people in that industry and tap them for their knowledge, not for a job. To say, look, I'm looking to make a career transition. I'm interested in your field. I see you've been in that field for X amount of time. You've worked for X number of companies. I'd love to get 15 minutes of your time if you have to see if you have any advice for somebody. You're, you're, you're complimenting the person while you're, you're getting knowledge from them. Because again, it's a little bit of feeding the egos because people love to be seen as an expert. It's, I mean, we want to be valued for what we know and what we bring to the table. It's human nature. So when you're doing that from a positive that, hey, I want to talk to you and I want to pick your brain, any advice you would have, you've been doing this for 10 years, what would you tell yourself uh, when you first started? You know, if you could go back and tell yourself what you learned today, what would you tell your, your early self? You know, just pick that brain for a little bit of information and you'll be amazed how many people are willing to talk to you when you package it that way. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're not asking for something they can't do. And can I have a job? Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. No, I don't know you. I'm not vouching for you. Yeah, can you vouch for me? That was the other one you mentioned. Yeah. In the, Your company yeah. has a referral program. Would you refer me? So I know you'll get a referral bonus if you refer me. I had a client actually tell somebody that one day. I, I shook my head. <laughs> um, so but anyway, I, you know, you'll be amazed where some of those conversations will lead you, and you may end up with a nugget that is just a game changer. You just don't know until you start doing it. And worst case scenario, you make a connection with somebody. Um, they may be able to pass you on to somebody else down the road. It might not even yeah. be something that benefits you today. They may remember that conversation with you nine months from now, and they have some opening, or they may have a friend they know somebody that's looking, and they say, oh, I remember such and such. She reached out to me. So you never know where that's going to circle back to you down the road. But it's about building. I think I used this analogy in the LinkedIn uh, podcast we did. It's a, Think of that human connection and growing your network like a garden. Because the first thing you got to do is you got to till the soil. That's get your profile set up, right? Then you got to plant the seeds. So that's reaching out and making those initial connections. Then you got to water it and nurture it. So that's following up, reaching out. Hey, how you doing? How's your yeah. week going? Responding on posts, right? So if you do all those things, what happens to your garden? It starts growing and it produces fruit eventually. And that's the exact same thing with, with, it, with real live human connection networking. Um, but if you don't do that and you don't follow up on it and you don't reach out and you don't make those connections, it dies. Yeah. And it's not going to produce for you. Now, I'll cut in right there because I think a big pain point a lot of people have is they're applying through these applicant tracking systems and they're, they're not getting responses. It's just like apply, 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 and then nothing. So um, somebody even asked in a question, uh, they talk about cold contacting people, mm -hmm. talk about networking. What do you think is the most effective way to actually network and start cold contacting people? Is it through LinkedIn or, or are there other ways to do it? 
LinkedIn is, is, is probably the most common and most popular everybody's used to because it's a professional site and it's respected. But I would say that's just one of the tools out there. I'd say if you are certified anything or a member of anything, so whether it's a member of your uh, alumni uh, chapter for your school, whether you have a certification in something and there's a local chapter like uh, CFE certified uh, fraud examiners or um, PHRM, professional HR manager certifications, or uh, any of these different things that people have, almost all of them have local meetup groups. Almost all of them have some kind of local membership chapter. Um, maybe, maybe it's a, uh, a sorority chapter, or maybe it's a international association of psychology. It could be anything. Um, but if you've got any of those you're a part of, look them up, find out where local chapters are, and go to their meetings, go to their meetups. Um, that is one of the best in-person that you can ever do uh, because they are getting to know you face-to-face. Now they are building a connection with you. And as you get to know them over different meetings you go to, they get to know your background, and they can start to actually be someone that could vouch for you because they've gotten to know you. Those are organic ones that do take time, so it's not going to happen overnight. But those could be some of the most fruitful ones because not only are you potentially gaining access for employment, you're tapping into the knowledge and diversity of thought that all of those individuals have who are in the industry that you're focusing on. And again, I can't even put That's a price. That's excellent advice. It really is. Yeah, I can't put a price on the nuggets of that knowledge that you'll get from those individuals usually. And I've never been to one of those groups where people weren't willing to help. They weren't willing to share the knowledge and help you succeed. I was going to say you brought up Meetup, and mm-hmm. I did like two weeks ago, I noticed on, on LinkedIn, and I did go to a LinkedIn as a Meetup. Yep. Absolutely yeah. great. So we, we have a, a guest talking about the efficacy, how how powerful Meetup can be in actually connecting with people um, in person and live. So, absolutely, and I think and LinkedIn really took a change this year in twenty in twenty eighteen their strategy of how they're they're using the resources because not only are they doing the employer uh, employee networking job seeking one, they have the local LinkedIn meetups they're doing now, which is just if you're part of LinkedIn, they're doing a local. Uh, event. So anybody that's on LinkedIn, you get together and you're just networking. It's all you're doing. You're just getting together, having a good time. They'll do it at some kind of different place. Uh, up in Dallas, there's a uh, Entrepreneurs um, Development Center uh, that opened up a couple of years ago. They host a lot of different LinkedIn meetups. So it's just if you're on LinkedIn, let's all get together and just talk and have a good time. There's no real agenda. Uh, it's just about getting together and networking. Um, so they've really taken a strong approach to trying to help people connect this past year more than ever. But yeah, definitely I would look at that. But again, to your point, um, you know, you're going to take some time and think about what's going to be that right fit. So is it logistics in another industry? Is it to focus on the IT world? On the IT world, you know, what kind of job in IT would attract you? What is it that you're interested in? Um, you know, what training and certifications are you going to need to get to be able to get into that industry? So those are all things you're going to need to research to figure out, is that the right path? And if it is, how long is it going to take you to get there? Because that's all part of that reality piece to say, okay, I got X amount of months and, and stashed away. Can I get this done in that time frame? I kind of want to push this into the direction of career changers because I know we have several in the room. There's several questions actually about career transition, so I want to make sure we have enough time to cover that. When you are strategizing, or I can even talk about when you're writing your resume, how do you really attract the right jobs and and really deflect from your past experience? Because I'll, I'll talk about some clients I've had in the past. They've had sales positions maybe back in the early 2000s. But that's not something that they want now. They would rather have something that's more, I don't know, customer success or maybe product development. How do you actually transition towards that and not having all these recruiters going back at you saying, hey, do you want the sales job? You know, that kind of thing. 
Uh, it's a great call out. And, and I think, so when you're making that transition into another industry, it's about understanding what those skill sets and things are and how your transferable skill sets fit, but how do you rephrase it and package it? Yeah. So for example, I've got a stay at home mom. She's been home for 15 years and now she wants to transition and she has to get work. And she feels like she has no experience to put on a resume. And so uh, with her, I took it a whole different approach because this was before I I started working with Let's Eat Grandma. Um, But with that resume job, we actually made it a little bit more fun because we created jobs of being a mom, being a housekeeper for the family. And we took some fun with it because we talked about negotiating at the PTA, negotiating with the kids and, you know, different things that that a parent goes through at home raising kids. So we took those skill sets and we rephrased it in a way that made it a fun resume. And she actually got employment. They had a kick out of the resume because they could see how cool. all the things she did to raise a family, she could deal with stress. She could multitask. We could start naming off all these competencies that she was skilled at. They just weren't in a traditional W-2 job. It's not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's the first step is you've got to say, what does the job need that I'm going to and what do I have and how do they cross over is the first step. Second step is you got to look to see what does a job require because there's the requirement and there's the like to haves. So whatever the job requires, what are you missing and how can you get it? So whether it's experience, training, certifications, education, whatever, what is that? And keep in mind, experience doesn't have to be paid. One of my best client success stories I have was a gentleman that got an IT degree. He had a bachelor's uh, in IT programming and he's never had a job in the industry and the only job he could ever get was he did one job working on a trash truck and he had another job where he was doing answering phones and he could not get a job in IT to save his life because everybody said you don't have any experience so when I started working with him within within 90 days I had him doing volunteer work at three different local charity organizations setting up their Wi-Fi's helping them with programming stuff helping them set up emails so over that next six months he gained six months worth of experience that we were able to put on a resume. Yeah. And once we did that and rewrote his resume to include that, it didn't take him long and he, he was able to get his first IT job. So keep in mind, it doesn't have to be paid experience to count. So anything you volunteer on, it counts. Once you rewrite your resume for transferable skills, mm-hmm. um, do you have any good ways to test that? So we had a, a guest who asked about um, if they do have those transferable skills, is there a way to test that? Um, sort of out in the field. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely, several ways. Uh, one, going back to the connections you've made. If you've made connections in that industry, it's no harm in saying, hey, I'm going to be applying to some positions, and I know you've been in the industry for 10 years. Would you mind take a look at this and give me your thoughts? Again, you're not asking for a job. You're not asking for them to pass it along. You're asking for their professional opinion. What do you think of this of the resume? And they'll quickly give you probably a very direct answer of yeah this is good no this is bad take this out this is old terminology or hey this doesn't this isn't this part of what it is isn't going forward so don't put that on there so you'll get some real world feedback for that um and that's the first one the second would be uh, there's not any harm in connecting with recruiters it's amazing how many recruiters i've met who are willing to look at a resume for somebody transitioning and give you feedback so let's say you're picking that solar industry um, that you're looking at and you there's recruiters out there that specialize in energy recruitment so whether it's gas oil solar whatever that's what they specialize in 
So if you're able to find one of those recruiters through whatever resource, Google, LinkedIn, whatever, and reach out to them to say, look, I'm looking to transition into the industry. And you may even want to offer to say, I'd love, I'd love to be able to hire you for an hour consult. You know, maybe you pay them a few bucks to give you some feedback firsthand. Uh, try the free route first. Say, hey, would you be willing to take a look at this and give me your feedback? But if they say, you know, I'm really busy, I'm swamped, say, look, I'd be more than happy to pay you for an hour consultation, you know, if, if you have a, let me know what that would cost. And, again, you may get them then because they're going to be like, oh, wow, this person's serious. They're not just a – because recruiters get a lot of people window shopping that aren't serious. So sometimes that conversation offering to hire them for an hour of consulting will get their attention. Uh, and they may not even charge you afterwards. They, they just know that you're serious and they're willing to help. So that would be another way you could kind of test it before you start launching it. Um, so that's a great question. The other, the other thing I would say that goes along with that is this is a mistake a lot of people make. If you update your resume and you're transitioning, pull your old one off the Internet. Go off, go on to Monster, Job, Indeed, wherever else you've posted your old one, pull it off. Because the comment, uh, Jennifer, I think you were making earlier is you keep getting calls about the industry you don't want to be in. It may not be your new resume that they're seeing. They may be seeing an old one. Yep. So get go out and make sure you pull all those off because um, you don't want to confuse people to say, well, I see one resume that says this. I see another that says this. I don't know what you're trying to be. So you want to keep that a very clean process for you. Yeah. I'll cut in there because you said a really cool thing about like posting something that you may want to erase. I have the same question, but for LinkedIn. So for instance, I used to be a restaurant manager. I have a lot of hospitality in my background. So LinkedIn's actually pushing me jobs. I, do you want this restaurant manager job? Like, no, I don't. Um, do, you, do you want this job as a bar manager? I'm like, no, I really don't. So in, in that same regard, it, does LinkedIn work the same way? Is there a way that I can actually downplay some of that experience? Um, I don't know if I'd downplay it. What I would say is I would transition your comments. The more you comment or connect with people in the industry you're focusing on, that will eventually shift. Okay. And you'll see more of that for what you're targeting. So, but if 90, if you got a hundred connections and 90 of them are in one industry, then that's where you're going to feel the bulk of it. So, but you, as to your point earlier, if you remove some of the connections that aren't people that you know, they don't know you, they're just connections for the sake of having it, you can pull those off for sure, but then start adding those new ones that are the targeted industry. And that, that auto filter for LinkedIn will start to pick up on that and it'll start, it'll start to slide it over. <coughs> But what I would, I would go even further with the job search, though, is not relying just on LinkedIn, for example, whether you go into Monster or CareerBuilder or Indeed or any of them, um, set up your job search filters so that it's sending jobs to you and you can then manually apply. Because you can say, I want a job in this industry, this is the position I'm looking for. So anytime those jobs post, it'll send you an email to say, hey, here's the jobs for this week that have posted that match your search. And then that's allowing you to proactively go after it. Um, right. And I will tell you, those are so important because especially if it's a job that you want or it's a high profile job, if you have that set up, you could apply within minutes sometimes or an hour of it being going live because you'll get that alert. But if you are like a lot of others who just a couple days a week do some searches to see what's out there, they've already gotten 30, 40 applicants coming in and you're behind the eight ball. So the quicker you get that in there and the quicker you get in front of somebody, the better. So definitely set those alerts up to get those coming to you too. Fantastic. We had somebody who asked, how much should I change my social media? Should my LinkedIn be the same as my resume? The LinkedIn should align fairly close to your resume because you don't want to have two different versions. Because when you come in to interview with me, I'm going to see your resume and I've seen your LinkedIn and they don't match. 
I'm going to have trust issues right out of the bat. Um, so definitely want them as closely aligned as you can. But yeah. LinkedIn gives you the freedom to expand. So it's okay to expand a little bit more. So especially in that summary section at the top, um, the, it's about selling you. I need to know in the first 30 seconds who you are and why do I want to get to know you better. Everything after that first third of the resume or after that first initial summary statement on LinkedIn almost doesn't matter. It's important to be accurate, but that's not the meat and potatoes. Yeah, so we had somebody just ask about personal interests, like things they do on the side and whether that's worth mentioning. It's, it depends on the industry. There, there's a lot of debate about it. I tend to make, if you're somebody who wants to be seen as approachable and you're working in an industry where that's okay, be approachable. To say, hey, this is who I am and, you know, I love fishing or I love long walks on the beach or, you know, you can make it a little fun and make it approachable. But if you're focused on an industry that is very strict, very professional, they don't appreciate a sense of humor, then I wouldn't do that. Because um, that's telling, and also I would ask you, why are you going into that industry if that's not who you are? But that's a whole other question. Um, but I, I think make it industry specific. Um, you know, you wouldn't want a comedian have a very flat yeah. LinkedIn profile, right? You expect to see some comedy in their profile. Um, like sales is another example of that too. You need that human aspect, especially when you're connecting with people on the yeah. phone. So I've heard that a lot from sales managers. So. Yeah, and just like if there was somebody that was a, a counselor for suicide people uh, that are going through that, I don't know if I'd want to see humor in theirs necessarily. I don't expect to see all negatives, but you know, somebody in there cracking jokes, I don't know how seriously I would take them as a professional. So I think it's industry specific. Yeah. Um, but I think it's okay to do it if it's appropriate because people got to get to know you. I see a photo of you, which please make sure you do real photos. Take the time to do a headshot. So, but it doesn't have to be fancy, but just make it clean, make it professional, make it show that you made an effort, right? And it doesn't even have to be expensive. I mean, you, there's a lot of these little photo studios in the malls and things. You can probably go and get a decent one for 40, 50 bucks, but just do it something nice. Um, I've seen people doing their backyards with like a fence in the background and somebody cropped it the right way, still look great. Yeah. So just make sure it's clean and it looks good. Um, the ones in this, and I'm in the car driving with my sunglasses on, I'm sitting back like this. No, that doesn't work. That's a Facebook photo. That's not for LinkedIn. That first impression is that photo. And if you don't have a photo on LinkedIn, that's sending the message you're not serious about your career. So somebody looking for you on LinkedIn will think that you're not engaged. So make sure you've got one on there. Yep. So we have a guest who asks, is our recruiters actually going to look at your Facebook, your Instagram, your yep. Twitter, whatever it is? So I'm going to give you two answers. <laughs> The first answer is the official legal hiring answer from almost every state in the country. No, they're not allowed to look at that and base their hiring decision on anything they find in social media. The reality and the actual answer is absolutely. They're going to look at every, they're going to type your name into Google and look for everything you've ever posted because it's public record. So they're going to look at for Facebook and if you haven't locked your Facebook, they're going to look at every post and photo that's in your Facebook profile. So anything you've done, anything that's out there in the social world, they're going to find it. And they're going to make a hiring decision based on they're not supposed to, but I can tell you right now, I've talked to so many HR hiring people, they absolutely do it. Because here's the fear factor. If you have behavior that is high risk, what's the risk to my organization if you do that behavior working here? Could it end up in the media? Could it go viral? Could it be connected to my business and hurt my business? That's the logic of why they do it. They really don't care what you do when you're off time. They're more doing risk assessment are you a risk to my business? So just kind of know that that is out there. So if you have posted something when you were in college and you did something crazy and you're standing on your head drinking from a keg, you might want to go out and delete that. 
Such um, imagery. Yeah. Try to paint the visual. Um, <laughs> but I find most professionals don't really have a lot to worry about out there. Um, but every once in a while you will find uh, some individuals that are just leaving college and they're just getting into their career. Maybe they've had some stuff where they got a little crazy and fun and did some crazy stuff. Um, so just you know, Google your name and see what's on like the first three pages. Yep. And there's companies out there that are openly, like there's a Google was just in the news recently um, that they were talking about if your politics were a certain way that there, it's a huge blowout thing. Uh, that if your politics were a certain way that you weren't going to work there and there was some manager there that posted an internal memo and said that you know, people, he was going to find a way to get rid of you if you, if you like Trump or something. Um, I mean, it, it can get ugly in some companies with politics. So you have freedom of speech and say what you want. But that's where we talked about earlier, though. It's about finding the right job for the right person, right? So if we can find the right industry, that's the first step. Then the next step is aligning you to the right organization that has the same values and beliefs and missions that you do. And then that all stuff doesn't even become relevant. We had a question over there. Yeah, um, so what if an individual doesn't have social media, such as myself? Yep. Social media so we have a guest who's asking about social media. What if you don't have a, like a Facebook page or, or anything like that? Is it, gonna deter, is it gonna deter from your job search? Is it, how will it impact my job search? I think what that usually surfaces if somebody doesn't have it, the first thing you mentioned was what are you trying to hide usually comes up. Yeah. But the second question I think most employers are going to ask themselves, and hopefully you can speak to this in the interview process or in conversation phone screening, is are you someone that's antisocial? Are you going to not connect with my team? Are you not going to be a team player? Are you going to try to be a loner? Um, you know, is that why you're not socially connected with people? So I think that thought is part of what goes through there as well. So what I would probably focus on is anybody that you're, you're potentially going to work with um, addressing it right up front don't let them bring it up you dress it up so just so you know you know i don't do a lot of social media instagrams or twitters or things like that I'm, i don't have i don't focus on that um i tend to and maybe it's because you focus on real human connections you like talking to people and just explain that and i think when you can explain that it's fine it's not a big deal but it's when you don't talk about it you don't bring it up and then they find it it's all the worst case scenario in people's mind they go to so it's best just to be up front and say hey look I know it's unusual. A lot of IT people have social media and things. I don't because I like to have real-world connections with people. Wow. Awesome. So we'll go back to something that we talked about, you know, making career transitions. Somebody asks, coming specifically from oil and gas, I am being discounted in my sales experience for having a lack of cold calling experience. How can I best overcome this hurdle? So in their specific instance, this job posting is calling for one particular thing and they're getting written off. And I'll just kind of broaden that right now. Like what if, what if it's like a degree, for instance, that the job posting is looking for and you don't have that? Mm -hmm. What would you recommend, Al? Usually there's a reason for that. Because if that's a key element that job requires and you don't have it, it's telling you that's not a right fit. Um, if it's that big of a deal that they're, they're discounting a potential applicant. And what happens, and, and you can tell me if this is true for, for you or not, but what tends to happen is we get a little bit out of shape when we don't get a job that we know we could do because of that one reason or that one skill set or that one certification to say, I can do that. I know I can do the job or I've done it before or whatever. We tend to take it personal. And it's not about you can't do the job. It's not about you couldn't adapt to do the job. It's not that you couldn't learn to do the job. It's that we don't want you to have to do that. We want somebody that's already there that needs to be boots on the ground running, that the ramp up time for that position is likely very short. 
So we don't have time to wait for somebody to adapt or develop or grow right now for that position. Doesn't mean there might be one down the road that we would have that time frame. But as of right now, we need somebody that's a veteran with that. Now, the other option would be is if there's a specific skill set or something that's needed that you're, you're missing, how can you go get that? And can you speak to that in your cover letter to say, I'm applying for this sales position and I have experience in the past of doing sales, being very successful. Uh, cold calling was one of my areas of opportunity. So I've been working on that over the last two, three, six weeks, whatever, and developing my skill sets, working with others that are experts in the industry. That like you can put that into your cover letter to say you're calling it out. Again, you are taking control of that, that interview process by not waiting for them to bring it up. You're being upfront about it and say, hey, I know this is on here, but let me tell you what I'm doing about it. And again, that's a whole different approach to that recruiter to read that, to go, okay, all right, let's see what they've got. And maybe that at least gets you the interview. And then you're able to sell yourself in the interview and move yourself through the process. But if you don't have a solution to what's missing, they're not going to waste the time to talk to you or bring you in. Because I don't have time for that. I need somebody that can hit the ground running. Hopefully that answers that. It does. Okay. That was really good. Clear cut. Um, you know like, no, no, absolutely. So what? So the kind of the question. You learn things online, right. Does that really matter if you don't have a, an actual certification from some kind of institution? Um, I'm going to answer that two ways. One, yes, it does matter. But what matters is where you're getting the knowledge from. So, for example, if you're going into an industry that there's a specific competency skill or um, training skill or something that you need, um, we're reaching out to people who are doing that job. And even without reaching out, just looking at their LinkedIn profiles, you can see what certifications they have and where they got them from. And you can start seeing where the most common places people are getting that from that's recognized. So like that ATD thing I told you, that is recognized. Any recruiter out there is going to see that, and they're not going to challenge and ask any questions. They're going to know you, you know what you're doing. But if I went out and got that same training from Let's Eat Grandma, they're going to have no idea. And now we have the potential <laughs> in the future. So, <laughs> But they're, right, they, they don't He's know right. them for being an expert in the facilitation training world yet, right? So they may not recognize that as being, okay, she knows what she's doing so much. So I would say, yes, it matters, and then get it from somewhere that is recognized in that industry uh, would make a difference, because that's at least telling the recruiter or the hiring manager, I have the foundational knowledge. I may not have the applied knowledge, but I have the foundational academic knowledge. And again, that puts you one step ahead of other applicants. Because again, think it, this is all about a ladder is where can you get yourself on the ladder? What can set you apart from the other applicants? Why do I want to hire you instead of her or him or the next person, right? But I can't put that on there because that's not actual, but I think it shows that you... Mm -hmm. But there, there's a way you can still work that in, whether that's through the resume, the cover letter, or the interview process. You can talk about, you know, I have a passion for learning and development. Yes. And, and, as, and I'll give you an example of how much I love it. I even got certified through the YouTube University on how to be a plumber. Like, I took it to that <laughs> level. And see what a recruiter would do exactly what you just did. They're going to get your personality. They're going to see that you do love to learn. And you're somebody that maybe it's worth investing into that maybe you don't have the skill set exactly, but you've got the foundational knowledge and I'm willing to invest into you. So I think it's still good to, to share that kind of stuff just in the right context. Um, out there so but am I gonna look at that and say oh she's certified from YouTube I'm gonna hire no <laughs> but I think it's good conversational to show you know that you are serious about learning 
Um, you know, some people will talk about how many courses that they've done. And, but again, anytime you're gonna talk about something like that, talk about what the impact was. It's not about collecting certifications. It's not about collecting skills and certificates. It's how did you apply what you learned? So give an example. So if, but what did you do with it? Okay. So that's the part you. Yep, that's the part you focus on, not yours. It's on I help somebody else. So I self-learned how to build websites, and I used that knowledge to help a friend build their site doing ABC. That's the story you tell, because now you've talked about learning, and you've talked about teamwork and helping others and being altruistic. You just hit three wins right there in that interview. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about when we talk about how do we repackage your experience. It's how do we repackage that to talk about whatever industry you're focusing on and leverage that experience. It's about telling a story. And it's a story that gets people's attention and makes them see and feel what you feel and what you know. And when you can make that human connection, that recruiter is going to want to pass you along. Because you're not just a resume, you're somebody with a story. I can talk about you. I can, oh, you got to see this new recruit that came in. He or she's done A, B, and C. They're just amazing. Because keep in mind, they got a boss they're still trying to impress too. So if they can know your story and your story is compelling, they're going to move it on because they want to see those stories happen. So a different way of thinking about it. So this is actually one of my favorite questions. I'm, of course, very biased here. But somebody asks, what is worth investing in, if anything, in terms of resume review services, LinkedIn profile support, cover letter, career coaching, and um, they even bring up attending industry shows and joining industry memberships. Um, so it's kind of speaking to kind of the best bang for your buck here. Yeah. How do you kind of decide these things? Funds are limited, so where do I put it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, very common. I, I think that's gonna be an answer that's unique for each person. So if you're someone that is very comfortable in your writing style and you feel like you can do the bulk of the resume and you just need somebody to look over it and they can do kind of a review you know, session with you or something, you know, maybe that's the way to go and, and you use the rest of it to have them do a LinkedIn for you instead. Because LinkedIn's got some very unique algorithms in it and the phrasing and the words and how you put stuff in there is, and it does change. It's not static. So having somebody spend a little bit of time to do the LinkedIn profile is definitely something I would say is worth doing. Um, and going through and looking at it and giving you feedback and the things to focus on. Um, I would say industry associations are definitely important if you're going to, especially transitioning or you're starting out, uh, that's one of the things we mentioned at the beginning of networking, a diversity of thought and knowledge you can get from those networks, people you can connect to. You can learn a lot of the, the nuances about that industry that maybe you aren't going to find anywhere else. So those are definitely, and those are usually pretty cheap. Most organizations, uh, their annual fees are 100 bucks or less uh, a year. So uh, there's a few out there that are more expensive, but the, the average ones aren't but 100 bucks or less a year usually for their dues. And the more than $100 worth of knowledge you'll get from those, for sure. Um, I'm a member of PSYOP, which is a Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology. And um, that one every year is amazing. I get so much content from them, our newsletters, trends that are happening in the IO industry. Uh, it's great. I mean, a great site. They've got job postings on there for people with IO backgrounds. There's academic papers that are being written they'll post. Uh, so for me, it's a really great investment to, to keep a tab on that. Uh, career coaching, again, I think it depends on where you are. Uh, not everybody is ready for a career coach, and not everybody actually needs a full career coach. Uh, so I know that's contradictive to my business, but it's being honest. Because I do have clients that I won't work with. 
Um, I talk to them. They've got to be in the right frame of mind, the right place to be able to do the work. It's not, you don't go hire a career coach because you're in crisis mode. And I will get a sense of that very quickly if somebody's in crisis mode. And I will give them suggestions. I'll give them recommendations and resources. But if you're in crisis mode, you're not going to want to do the work. You're going to be, how do I get this done? How do I get my bills paid? I'm running out of money. My spouse is yelling at me. My kids have got stuff coming up. And all this gloom and doom is bouncing around in your head, and you're looking for a shortcut. So hiring a career coach is not a shortcut because we're not recruiters. It's not our job to go find you the job. So a career coach is going to be, hopefully you get a career coach before that transition needs to happen. So we can work on that plan together. So if it's something that you know is coming, you want to make a plan transition, let's work together and plan that out for you. But if it's an unexpected transition, uh, like a layoff or an unexpected reorg or something like that, um, just go into it open-minded knowing, okay, I have X amount of time. Here's what I want to accomplish. I need to figure out what I'm going to do, whether it's stay in the industry or I'm going to change industries. Understand it's going to take time. Um, there's a statistic out there that I, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but it's enough to make me think about it. The average position that you're looking for, um, it usually takes at least one month for every $10,000 in salary. So if you have a $100,000 a year job, it could take up to 10 months to find another one sometimes that's paying the same. Because the higher the salary, the more the skill sets and all those things are more specialized. The openings often don't come up as much as the lower dollar positions do. Um, so it can take time. So you have to plan that ahead of time. You've got to know how much time is that going to take to find it. And again, going back to networking, I know we keep talking about it, but that's the importance of growing that right network so that you know what's on the back burner. You know there's some options out there. So if something does unexpectedly happen, you've got people you can tap into to say, hey, just got you know reorged. If you have any referrals or anybody you know is hiring, just let me know. Again, I'm not asking for you to hire me. I'm not asking for you to get me the job. I'm asking you to refer me to places that you know might be a fit. So it's a lot easier for someone to want to do that. Uh, but with the transitions, uh, it's it's definitely it's a tough place to be, uh, especially when it's unexpected. Plan transitions are good. Um, career coach also is great if you are in a job that you love to talk about how do we help you move along in that industry or in that mm -hmm. organization? How do you navigate the politics of that organization? Uh, is it right to stay with that company doing that job or is there another company doing the same job that would be a better fit for you? Do you want to move up into leadership or into a senior level position and talk about what that path looks like and having a, a partner to go along that journey with you that's unbiased? That's one of the beauties of a career coach is I have no skin in the game. I have no emotional connection to what you're going through or the people involved. I can look at it very tactically and very uh, logically uh, and give you perspective that you may not have because we're too close to it. Our emotional brain is overloading our intellectual brain when we're in the middle of it because to us, everything's important and everything, and it, it, it just gets really confusing because we care so much about it. When you get that neutral person, we can ask some of those harder questions that a lot of times a client doesn't want to ask themselves. And that's where I was asking that question before, do you want to do that work? I'm doing it because I know I can do it. I'm doing it because I know I can make money. But should I do it? Can I ask a follow-up question? If you, if you are going to engage some of those services, how do you screen potential coaches? So we had somebody ask, what's the best way to screen potential services? Talk about career coaching and even resume writing would be great too. Absolutely. Um, I, I think resume writers, they will typically be able to provide you some type of sample so you can see the type and quality of work they do. But one of the things I always ask resume writers is, how do you create your resumes? Do you do them yourself? 
Do you do them from scratch? Do you outsource it? You will find a lot of cheap resume companies out there. You go on a website called Fiverr, you can get a resume for 20 bucks. And they'll have it for you in 24 hours. But they have outsourced it to a third world country, to someone whose English is their fourth language, and do not understand the nuances, and it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, a lot of the cheaper companies will do that, or they will buy resume writing software that you could buy off of the shelf at Staples yourself, and they're just plugging in what you told them, and then charging you 50, 100 bucks for it. So making sure you have somebody that you're asking those questions, how do you do your process? And I know they do a really good process here. When it comes to a coach, every coach should be willing to give you at least a 30 minute uh, initial consultation session. If a coach does not want to give you for that- free. For free, absolutely. If they're not willing to do that, you don't want to work with them. Because A, they're either going to be too busy and they're not going to be serious about working with you, which doesn't, isn't usually the case. Usually the case is they're not a great coach in my opinion and they don't want to talk to you. Um, I don't have a problem spending 30 minutes with somebody uh, just to say, hey, what's going on? It might take you a week to get that scheduled if I have a really heavy workload for you know, a week or two, but I'll always get that scheduled with you. Uh, I have a standing open one on my website. It's a, a open 30 minute, anytime you can go on my calendar and pick a 30 minute window and I'll do a session to talk through what you're looking for. Yep. And that intake session, or, or that's not, not intake, that's an initial consultation session, is where you've got to ask questions is, what, what is your coaching style? Like, how do you coach? What is it that, that you coach about? Because um, I'm going to be asking you, what do you want to focus on? I'm going to ask you, have you ever had coaching before? And if you did, what worked and what didn't? Um, I'm going to ask you, uh, how committed are you to making change? Uh, what type of coaching do you want me to provide you? Because there is partnership coaching where we brainstorm together. There's accountability coaching where I'm going to hold you accountable. It's a little bit, little bit more assertive type of coaching. Um, so there's, there's different styles of coaching that people can use, but we got to find what's the right fit for you. Um, so a lot of it is about a personality connection. Uh, I've hired different coaches for myself. Uh, matter of fact, I actually have a pod coach now that I hired that's working with me because I've got a podcast that I'm going to probably be starting the first of the year. And I wanted to understand it and know more about it. And I went through probably seven different people before I picked the one I picked because I just didn't feel a vibe with that other person because you've got to be able to be feel like you can trust the person you can open up and talk now they don't have to be an expert in your industry is that helpful sure because they can they can get the nuances of your industry but they don't need to be a good coach is going to be able to help you no matter what your industry is because it's about you being the subject expert of your career and your industry um, now if you're transitioning into something that's not your niche then the two of you can do it together and figure out those resources and how do you learn it and develop it but it's really just taking that time to learn taking that time to talk, taking that time to have them walk you through their approach. Uh, some people have a very structured program where they, they will take you through processes and, and documents and things they have. Others will do a more organic where it's kind of just ad hoc. Um, you know, each time you talk, what do you want to work on this time? What do you want to work on this time? So it just depends on what you're looking for. I hope that's a, it's a long answer to a short question. Fantastic. And we actually got a we got to wrap it up over here just for the sake of time. We actually have one more time after if you want to connect with Al or I. I actually recommend talking with us afterwards. Um, but to kind of conclude it all, to ask the final question, what words of advice do you have for job seekers? Find your chief motivational officer. Find that person in your life that's going to be that partner to share the load with you. I think that's the biggest piece of advice. 
um, share that emotional load of the struggles that you go through, the disappointments, the up times, the happiness, somebody to bounce things off of that are going to be neutral for you. So whether that's a career coach, whether that's a family member, friend, um, I think that would be one piece of advice because that's going to help you along that journey. Uh, I would say if you're in a career that you love, uh, continue to, to plan ahead. Take control of your career. Don't wait for somebody else to make that decision for you. Uh, so whether that's planning out who you're going to talk to, who you're going to, who's going to mentor with you, what training you're going to focus on, don't wait for somebody else to make the decision. Hey, I, I want to promote this person. I want to develop this person. Take the time to own your career and go after it yourself. Because um, nobody should ever care as much about you and your career as you do, and they never will. Uh, so you've got to take that bull by the horns and run with it. Fantastic. Well, you've been an absolutely incredible guest here. If everyone could give a round of applause for Al. And, and uh, for those of you listeners, we've had a very engaged group of job seekers and potential not even job seekers, but asking really amazing questions. Um, if I could just show you their faces and how awesome they were, um, I totally would. Uh, but they've been awesome. So I'd like to thank them for asking the questions that provided the content for this specific episode. So what I'm going to do is I'll provide a, um, a link to Al's LinkedIn or his website below. So you'll be able to contact him about any of that. As of now, that wraps up the 18th episode of the Let's See Grandma Job Seekers podcast. And that's a wrap.